Hello, and welcome to episode 25 of the QuietMark podcast. I'm your host, Simon Gosling, CMO at QuietMark. And QuietMark is the independent global certification program associated with the UK Noise Abatement Society Charitable Foundation. Through scientific testing and assessment, QuietMark identifies the quietest products in multiple categories spanning many sectors, including home appliances and technology, building sector materials, and commercial sector products. It's July the 15th, 2021, as I record the introduction to this episode, and two days ago, the headline on BBC News read, England lockdown rules to end on 19th of July, Prime Minister confirms. The news feature goes on to say, England will move to the final stage of easing COVID restrictions on the 19th of July, ministers have confirmed. It means almost all legal restrictions on social contact will be removed. But the Prime Minister said it was vital to proceed with caution, warning this pandemic is not over. It continues, while virtually all legal restrictions will be lifted, some guidance will remain. For example, the legal requirement to wear face coverings in some enclosed public places will be removed, but Mr Javid said they were still expected and recommended in crowded indoor spaces. Nightclubs will be allowed to reopen for the first time since March 2020, and capacity limits will be removed for all venues and events. There will no longer be any limits on how many people can meet, and the one-metre distancing rule will be removed. It ends saying that Mr Javid also said that people should act with personal responsibility and try to meet people outside where possible. So with Freedom Day here and people able to meet again and gather in large spaces, we decided to focus the subject of this particular episode on the challenges of improving acoustics in large spaces where people gather, such as cinemas, museums and of course the offices that we work in. And joining us here today in the studio to discuss that with us, we have Richard King from Sandy Brown Associates and Martin Rawlins from Baswa Acoustic. Martin has always had a deep interest in sound and was previously a music producer and recording engineer, spending seven years in China recording everything from punk and indie bands to traditional Chinese instruments and a Grammy-winning singer-songwriter. Who was that, Martin? Oh, that was uh, Abigail Washburn. She sings in Chinese and, and English, but she's uh, in Nashville now. Oh, wow. And with Baswa, Martin now spends his time working with architects to improve interior room acoustics and has worked on projects including the United States London Embassy, the New Museum for Western Australia in Perth and the V&A in London. For Baswa, the Swiss pioneers of modern seamless acoustic ceilings, good acoustics are essential to well-being, just like natural light. Baswafon is the most advanced and most specified acoustic plaster system worldwide, and it is one of the many acoustic solutions and products listed in Quiet Marks Acoustics Academy directory for the building sector. Richard King is an acoustic consultant with Sandy Brown, and he has worked on projects in residential, hotel, healthcare, commercial, educational, industrial, religious facilities and retail sectors. Recent projects include the BCO-nominated fit-out for Condé Nast at the Adelphi Building, numerous large office fit-outs, and comprehensive improvements and expansion of BAFTA's Grade 2 listed headquarters at 195 Piccadilly. Richard also provides mechanical services design advice on numerous projects including M&S Victoria and TV studios at Wembley Stadium. He lists his specialities as acoustic consultancy, mechanical service noise, building acoustics and recording studios. Sandy Brown is the largest independent acoustic consultancy in the UK. Since 1969, they've been at the forefront of building acoustics and are recognised experts in the world of acoustic design of studios, 
auditoria and performance spaces. Their unique history and depth of experience is combined with an extensive project portfolio covering a wide range of building sectors. They pride themselves in giving the best advice to their clients in a way that is practical and clear and attract bright, talented and dedicated engineers who are passionate about acoustic design. From the redevelopment of listed historical buildings to the latest innovative techniques in new build construction, their team regularly works with leading architects, engineers, developers and contractors on projects worldwide. Welcome to the show, Richard and Martin. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Simon. It's great to be here. Uh, It's great that you can give us the time today. And uh, my first question, Richard, goes to you. It's an obvious question, but what is an acoustic consultancy? So there was a, a BBC uh, article, uh, web article, uh, a couple of years ago, which listed the top 10 uh, most uh, unusual job titles. And second on that list was acoustic consultant. <laughs> and it's difficult to explain to people uh, in, in a simple terms exactly what an acoustic consultant does, because the work is is very, very diverse. So essentially what we do, we work alongside uh, developers, consultants, architects, Uh, structural engineers, mechanical services engineers, the whole design team to develop the uh, acoustic design on various projects. So this could be something like making sure you can't hear the air conditioning noise from your local supermarket roof through to the design of school buildings to make sure you can uh, hear what the teacher's saying. It could be in residential, we we design the the walls and the floors to make sure you can't hear your neighbours. And it could be um, more detailed, uh, more specialist spaces, such as recording studios, um, theatres, and uh, and occasionally concert halls as well. Okay, well, for a job that's uh, difficult to describe, I think you did a pretty good job there, Richard. But to me, as (laughs) someone who comes from a film background, well, in uh, in film terms, everyone knows that you've got the cameraman and the you know the uh, cinematographer and the art director who are focused on the visual side of the film. I guess they're the architects of the building, and you've got the musicians and the sound dubbing people who look after the sound of the film, who I guess are the acoustic consultants of the building. Would that be a fair analogy? Yeah, it is similar to that. So, yeah, we work alongside uh, the the key design team members. So it will be the architects, it will be the mechanical services engineers and the structural engineers. They they tend to be the the, the main three. Uh, and then we will sit alongside other specialist disciplines such as uh, fire engineering, uh, landscape architects, and 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 various other sustainability, various other things that uh, a project would require. So we often work alongside sort of the same teams, uh, sort of have regular involvement with with teams on projects, which is good because we build up that relationship, that kind of rapport within the team so that when it comes to uh, starting a new project, everyone kind of is already familiar with with what's expected and comfortable with each other. And that's something at Sandy Brown we really try and focus on to make sure that uh, you know, we understand what what the developer is going to need, what the contractor who who will build the, the scheme will need, uh, uh, through to the various members of the design team. That's interesting. And sticking with the film analogy, I used to work on various films, and I know directors who would always work with the same uh, cameraman and sound dubbing team, and even the same editor. It became very much part of their style. Would it, you know, where different directors have different visual styles or, or directing styles? Would it be fair? to say that different acoustic consultancies maybe have their own house style as well does that happen 
Yeah, that's very true. So uh, acoustic consultancy is su such a wide ranging uh, specialism and you will get sort of single traders all the way through to, uh, you know, small independent companies, large, large independent companies like Sandy Brown through to multidisciplinary engineering companies, which will provide acoustics as part of a whole package, including some of the other main services. Uh, at Sandy Brown, we we are an independent consultancy. We we probably are the main uh, consultancy that focuses almost entirely on building acoustics. Uh, a lot of consultancies will focus on em environmental noise. Uh, that's not something that Sandy Brown particularly specialises in. One of the things to our advantage is that we have a lot of experience within our company. So we probably have something like three to four hundred years worth of experience uh, amassed between the people in, in Sandy Brown. Goodness. We've done over 10,000 projects uh, and been been operating for over 50 years. So if there's something that comes up that, that I'm working on a project and I don't personally know or don't personally understand, there's always that resource either within the company now or in, in the back catalogue of, of projects that we've done so that we can we can always try and come up with a pragmatic and practical solution. Oh, that's really cool. That's really interesting to have all that experience uh, close by. So in the introduction, Richard, I was talking about the fact that Freedom Day, we know we're recording this particular episode of the program on June the 24th. We were supposed to be in Freedom World already by June the 21st, but it got moved, as we all know, by four weeks to July the 19th. So it remains to be seen if we stick to that date. But that date will see this time where people who've been in lockdown for a long time, they're going to be coming out of their cosy homes and back into the outside world, back into museums, theatres, cinemas, galleries, big spaces, cacophonous spaces. And you're, uh, in your bio at the beginning of the show, I read how you specialise in hotels, healthcare, education, industrial, all these very large spaces. And you've done the BAFTA space, which of course is a cinema in its own right. Is the cacophonous soundscape of a big space going to frighten people when they leave their homes? And what are the challenges presented to an acoustic consultant such as yourself of dealing with a large open space? So, yeah, it really depends on what the space is used for. So uh, one of the projects that we worked on was the cars exhibition at the uh, Victorian Albert Museum. And that was particularly interesting because it's a temporary uh, exhibition it's not there permanently and you need a different approach a lot of it is open space so whereas normally if you want to stop sound trans transferring from one room to the next you put a, a full wall, wall in the way you could you can't do that in, a, in an exhibition space for instance so the what we did we effectively turned a wall inside out and we had uh, a temporary structure with a solid core in the middle and then sound absorption on the outsides. Mm -hmm. And what that enabled us to do was to contain the sound within certain zones so that different sections of the exhibition didn't interfere with other sections of the exhibition. Right. Now, um, Martin, we heard Richard there talking about different zones and different walls. Uh, we read in the introduction that Baswer does acoustic uh, ceilings. Um, and you have worked on the Victorian Albert Museum yourself too. He just mentioned Victorian Albert Museum. But tell us a bit more about Baswa's solution and maybe the solutions it provided to something like the Victorian Albert Museum. Uh, well, that's right. Yeah, thanks, uh, Simon. So we worked on the uh, the new members area at the B&A up on the fifth floor, which um, is a beautiful space with uh, coffered ceilings and uh, lots of natural light coming in. 
the Basswell was used to provide that magic function of sound absorption, which uh, Richard mentioned a moment ago. And it's so useful to actually be able to integrate sound absorption into uh, interior architecture uh, because it just fulfills so many functions. I mean, Richard mentioned the, um, the dual function, if you like, that it can provide of even increasing speech intelligibility, which would normally be provided by a partition or a wall. Sound absorption can do that as well because it prevents sound from being reflected off of a surface. And so that's what we do. We provide a system which um, looks just like a regular painted ceiling, although we can do textures and colors and curves and all that kind of thing as well to, um, you know, to conform to the design. But in fact, it absorbs sound rather than having that sound bouncing off it, which creates the cacophony and the, and the cavernous sound that can sometimes be an issue, not just in wide open spaces either, but in, um, you know, uh, meeting rooms and homes and restaurants and all sorts of environments, really acoustics uh, matter everywhere. And it's, um, I think, you know, you could almost say it's a, a misconception that, um, you know, acoustics are only relevant for museums and uh, huge halls and things like that. That's absolutely, uh, you know, not, not, not the case at all. And we work on a huge range, just like uh, Sandy Brown, a huge range of um, different types of projects, obviously the residential through to, uh, of course, yes, the museums uh, as well. The challenge there in putting sound absorption in is how do you want it to look at the end of the day? And there's so many solutions, you know, um, and sound absorption can be provided by so many different materials, but how's it going to look? And what Basswood does um, is it provides that functionality, um, but with a very, very smooth, seamless, uh, it's actually a marble plaster finish that is uh, a very thin coating on top of the um, the main sound absorptive material. And that all works together to provide that acoustic performance. Is it just ceilings or a Baswell moving into walls as well? I mean, we've always been able to uh, to work with uh, vertical surfaces, uh, aka walls. Uh, quite recently, we have actually uh, brought out a new product, which has um, a much greater impact resistance. Um, it actually passes uh, passes the uh, the basketball test. So um, what's that's the basketball test <laughs> for impact resistance? Yeah, <laughs> and you know, that goes with the same marble plaster finishes. So it's still a very beautiful finish, um, but also at the same time very discreet and um, impact resistant too. So yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, it's not just about um, ceilings, but I, I guess you know we sort of come from the acoustic ceiling area and so you know that's why i tend to couch things in those terms quite often but uh, no it's very very versatile okay so richard whether it's walls or ceilings or floors doors windows you need to know the whole tapestry of products that you can use to provide the solutions required to a certain space how do you go about that yeah, so if it's a, a particularly simple space, then um, we will use something like a spreadsheet solution to uh, determine the sound absorption that's required to 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 meet the uh, the, the target criteria for the space. Um, with the target criteria really depends on the the type of room use um, and also then the size of the room. So if it's a bigger volume, you'll tend to have a, a longer reverberation time. So just to explain, a reverberation time is the time it takes for sound to decay by 60 decibels. Now, when you actually measure it, you would never measure the first five decibels. You allow that drop to start, then you will measure from that point. And it's very, very difficult to actually measure 60 decibels. So you'll measure either 20 or a 30 decibel drop and then scale that up. So that's what, when we talk about reverberation time, it's the time for the sound to decay by 60 decibels. I see. So... The criteria is, is really is dependent on function and room volume. So a, a particularly big volume space will always have 
a higher reverberation time than a small one. And that's perfectly acceptable to a point, particularly specialist spaces uh, from one extreme to, to, to the other. A recording studio, you want a very low reverberation time. If it was more like a concert hall, it would be a much longer one because you actually want the the reinforcement of the reflections and the echoes. So something like a console was a very different proposition to most of the design that we do. So if we were looking at something, say a classroom, there are very defined reverberation times for that. When we go to something like a cinema, it's much more uh, constrained. It, it has to be, you have to consider all the reflections that go on, the interaction with the loudspeakers that are, are there as part of the audio system. So it, it really does depend on exactly what the space is for. Where we have a more complicated space, what we'll do is we'll we'll create a three-dimensional model, and then that gets put into a software package that we use one called Odeon, and it's what we call a ray trace package. So what you do is effectively you you build your room, you assign the surfaces, and we we will assign the uh, what we call an absorption coefficient, which is how much sound it absorbs for each of those surfaces and then the model actually fires out rays in all directions and then as a ray hits a surface it knows how much energy it should lose and then the reflected ray will then ha have that much energy less as it then goes on and depending on the complexity you you can determine how many reflections you actually account for because there will come a point where it gets too complicated for the model to do an, like an infinite number of reflections can I ask you there, Richard, you know, you've got this 3D model and uh, for want of a better phrase, can you almost drag and drop different products onto the floors, the walls, the ceilings, etc. from different manufacturers and gauge how quickly it takes it to uh, reduce volume by 60 decibels? Yes, it's uh, it's not quite as simple as drag and drop, um, <laughs> but we have a, an allocated set of materials. We have a, a what we call the materials list, and and each one of those materials will be assigned absorption coefficients. Uh, we look at it in uh, what we call octave bands, so starting from the low frequencies all the way up to the higher ones, uh, and then. It, it will effectively do that calculation. And if you say, actually, we're still not meeting the design criteria, we look at either adding more of the absorbent material or changing its performance to make it a more sound absorbing material. So, Martin, obviously, uh, softwares like Odeon and acoustic consultants like Richard need to be really up to speed on the difference that Baswa products can can bring to their spaces. How do you make sure they're up to date with all of that information? Well, uh, personal relationships help. And uh, obviously, just keeping in contact with, uh, you know, we, we try to make sure that we provide um, all of our, you know, acoustician um, friends uh, with the latest uh, information that we that we have. Mm -hmm. We, uh, you know, we test the... Um, uh, the materials for not just acoustics, but also for uh, fire performance and all sorts of other technical aspects of the performance as well. And um, yeah, of course, we keep people up to date with that. And, you know, we've got over 90 performance options. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, sorry about that, uh, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, we've also uh, recently created BIM objects, um, tools that architects primarily use uh, to be able to uh, actually probably more literally um uh, in this case, drag and drop um, the tech 
technical specs of products into a building model uh, where they can then see not only the design, but also the performance of those uh, surfaces or whatever uh, other, you know, um, components they're using. Um, so that's another aspect as well of how we, you know, make sure that the data is um, transparent and just usable and out there for people to use. Through doing this program and the stuff that we read, I, I'm sort of getting a sense that people's relationship with acoustics is changing. And one of the things that highlights that, um, as you, you're aware, I was recently appointed to the Well Homes Advisory. And one of the interesting things with Well, their latest advert, quite surprisingly, was directed by Spike Lee. It stars Lady Gaga, J-Lo, uh, Michael B. Jordan, Venus Williams, Robert De Niro, all these A-list celebrities saying that when they go out and they go to a building, they like they feel reassurance when they see the well-standard seal on the wall because it informs them that that building has been built or refurbished with their well-being in mind. The fact that such a sort of A-list celebrity advert's being made at the time where also Wells' own social media is saying that business is booming for them right now with a drive by um, building owners to apply for well standards, of which we know acoustics is one of the main concepts of achieving well certification, along with air, light, thermal quality. Um, so the sheer fact, like I say, that A-list celebrities are talking about the well standard and bringing it much more to the forefront and bringing, therefore, acoustics much more foot to the forefront, I'm wondering if... If in your own experience, do you think acoustics has moved up the pecking order in terms of prioritization? We're at the planning stages of buildings and building development. What would you say to that, Richard? To, to a point, yes, that's starting to happen. Um, obviously, things have, have been a little bit unusual throughout the lockdown period in terms of uh, just how projects have, have been working. Um, but but yeah, it's something that we've definitely noticed is that, that more uh, office developers are are looking at the well standards there's always been uh, sustainability standards or for, for many years with with things like briam um and certainly when it comes to uh, schools and residential you know there are, are specific legal requirements that you have to comply with it's not quite the same with something like offices so actually to have uh, that kind of sustainability standard is making people think a little bit more about that and um yeah, one of the things that 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 we often say to uh, developers and architects and so on is actually it's really important to bring us on the project early. When we we're involved early, we can help integrate the acoustic solutions and, and we really add value. If we're brought in at the very last minute and we have to look at lots of retrofitting, we generally just add costs um, that that could have been avoided if we brought in a, an early stage. And and hopefully, as as you know, we we come back out and um, sort of offices start to reopen again, and and um, uh, you know, and and offices are being redeveloped because of COVID very much. We've, we're seeing uh, much more flexible working spaces and more meeting rooms and so on being being put into offices. I think as as that goes on, I think things like well are helping to bring acoustics to the forefront. That's interesting that you say more meeting rooms because one of the things we've seen typically happening in office spaces is this industrial look. That must present challenges to you. Yeah, so so it does. So one one of the key things for when you're working in an office and particularly open plan 
And I think this could be something, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there are a few people who are almost a little bit fearful about going back into an open plan environment after such a long time is you you really want to uh, assist people in in the having good acoustic conditions so they don't want to be distracted you know they want to be able to have private conversations and you know there are certain things we can do in open plan offices and sound absorption is is quite crucial uh, in providing that good acoustic condition and it, it can be a challenge when, you know, we've had projects where architects, they, they love the, the exposed concrete and the exposed services. But from an acoustics point of view, that gets really challenging. And so we have to look at working with architects in creative ways to include the, that sound absorption um, and not to have it kind of just left. Um, you know, because then when people come back into the office, they, they find, you know, they're going to struggle. Uh, there have been some really interesting studies done uh, recently as well about the psychology of, of open plan offices. And, you know, introverts uh, and people who do focused working are, are much more disadvantaged in 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 a bad acoustics uh in with bad acoustics in an office then an extrovert and an extrovert actually is quite happy to have a noisy environment so it's a very difficult balance and and what we're seeing is a, a lot more sort of focus on lots of breakout spaces lots of flexibility uh, lots of hot desking so as people are i think inevitably not going to be working in the office as often you know, it, it enables them to to reduce the the main desking space because of the fact people can work flexibly, but to provide lots more facilities, lots more private meeting rooms if you need to take a phone call, uh, if you're doing a video conference call, and so on. So I think it it, it is a challenge when we get the the open plan offices, you know, with all the the, the exposed concrete, as great as it looks. Um, but I think actually what's important really is is people feel they want control over their environment. So by giving people the flexibility, I think that is really going to help people when they go back into the office environment. Do you find then that when you sometimes look at an architect's designs and you see these huge open plans and these ripped out ceilings and exposed pipes and the trendy look that comes out very much out of Silicon Valley, do you ever find yourself in a sort of a conflicting situation where you say to the architect, mate, that's going to sound terrible. And they're like, I don't care. I want it to look like this. And does it cause a bit of a back and forth or is it all all good, all good in uh, love and war? <laughs> it, yeah, it, 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 it can be. It can be tricky. Uh, there, there, are, there are ways that we can work around it, though. And I think uh, one, one of the things that we've also seen is working on uh, sort of actual new office buildings, what, what we kind of call the shell and core or a, a cat A fit out. So before a tenant comes in, historically, there would have been a lot of um, sort of ceilings that were, were installed and everyone knew that the tenant was going to come in and probably remove a lot of those. Mm. And that really wasn't a sustainable position to be in. And the tendency we're finding at the moment we've developed is, is, is they don't want to invest in that knowing it's going to be taken out. So one of the things we stress is make sure that when your tenant does occupy the office, they are able to install uh, sound absorption. Uh, and, and sometimes we, we also recommend something called sound masking, which also helps uh, limit distraction in, in, in offices. And it's really a case of making sure the tenants have got the, the option to do that. We found it, it's very strange. We found some types of business that will absolutely thrive with, without having any sound absorption. 
and it just fits their business. You know, if they like marketing companies, sometimes where it's, you know, and I think where they tend to have more extroverted people, that's fine. But if you have something like a law firm, that would be a totally different end of the spectrum. And you would most definitely need to to include sound absorption because it's focused working, you know. So it it really does depend on the the type of business that's in in a space. And that's why it's great to allow the flexibility to not, you know, sink a load of materials that you know aren't going to be wanted, uh, but to but to just make sure that the tenants are able to install what's necessary. And I'm looking at guitars in your background, uh, Richard. You're obviously a musician, and I suppose you're used to tuning guitars differently for different types of music. It sounds like you're tuning buildings for different types of purposes. It is very much. It's very much that. It's it's not a case of one size fits all. And I think that's the big challenge. Historically, we've, I believe, we've we've kind of gone for this open plan office and it's been a one size fits all. And I think, you know, and probably in part due to the pandemic, but I, I think this was happening beforehand. People are realising now that actually to get the best productivity out of your staff, one size doesn't fit all. And it, it is quite encouraging that, you know, when we see a lot of um, t- tenants that we work with in fitting out their offices, and we do see a huge variety of what people do. And, you know, our job really is to make sure that, you know, the people who work there are going to have a good experience. And, you know, it's really rewarding knowing that, you know, when you've done an office fit out and you know that the acoustics in there are really good and you've got, you know, great sort of set of flexible, you know, working spaces. It's really rewarding knowing that, you know, that's really going to impact on people. Does having a musical ear, because you're clearly a guitarist, help you in what you do? And what is the path towards becoming an associate with an acoustic consultancy? How did you get into what you do? Yeah, so for me, it actually started with uh, singing. Um, oh. When I was about nine or ten, I, I I sort of started singing in my primary school choir. Then um, as I got to secondary school, I was in my, my secondary school choir. I also joined uh, something called the South End Boys Choir. Um and as part of, of performing with them, I performed in spaces such as the, the Barbican, the Festival Hall, uh, St. David's at Cardiff, even made some recordings in uh, Abbey Road. Oh, wonderful. Uh, with, with sort of London Symphony Orchestra. And, and so that really opened Amazing. my eyes. You know, when I walked into somewhere like the Barbican or the Festival Hall, it just has such an aura. I mean, I was what, 11, 12, so it's bound to you know have a big impression but there was just such an aura and it was just like you know i want to be involved in in sort of sound and acoustics and actually the guitar, uh, followed a little bit later than that so essentially the the main kind of route in uh, if you want to to really focus on the consultancy side yeah. uh, is a, is a degree route now there are probably three specialist universities or specialist courses uh, at university that really relate to building acoustics. That's not to say there aren't other acoustic uh, courses uh, across the country. There are many, actually, and a lot more than when I studied. Um, But the three main ones for building acoustics really are Southampton, uh, Salford and Southbank University in London. Okay. Uh, And and they are the main kind of, uh, that's the main focus, the main entry to do it. But Equally, you know, I'm actually my my degree was a physics degree first and foremost. 
just and then an acoustics degree as part of that. Um, and I also undertook something called the Institute of Acoustics Diploma as part of that degree. So the Institute of Acoustics have a, a diploma course, which uh, is lasts for a year. So it's uh, it's effectively it's three terms, uh, one day a week, and and that's a great way to get into acoustics. They they also hold technician courses, uh, which you can do. Uh, but what we also find is you'll get people with architectural background. Uh, one of the directors at Sandy Brown that I spoke to today, he, he's actually you know studied architecture at university and then went on to uh, branch out into acoustics. We have uh, quite a few people who will do a conventional degree in something like architecture or engineering, and they'll then go to to a university and do a master's specialising in acoustics. So we see. We see that all over the place. You know, a lot of people come in that route. Now, equally for technicians, um, there is an apprenticeship scheme that's in the process of being rolled out, uh, which is which is really great and really exciting to see. I mean, that's that's more for a technician type role. Um, so I think if you did that and became a technician, you would inevitably need some additional study to get to be able to be a consultant because it's really an engineering focus right. um, and the acoustics element itself isn't necessarily that complicated but it's having that analytical and critical uh, sort of approach to a problem uh, and 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 being able to sort of take a step back and say you know let, let's get a pragmatic solution let's get something that's practical that works and you know so certainly for consultancy i would say the degree is the main route and you, you were saying that your degree was a while ago and you've been working in the field for how long now oh i graduated in 96 i i've actually had a range of jobs so um in my first job i, I was a radar designer um which <laughs> isn't actually as as odd as it sounds because once you uh, process the data a lot of it is effectively audio engineering it's all at audio frequencies then uh, I, I moved across to Ford Motor Company and, and was working on the multimedia systems the speakers um, and hands-free microphones in particular and then after that I moved across into um, consultancy and I've been in building acoustics now for I think it's something like 17 18 years that's a good long period have you noticed trends come and go during that time and what might the trends be now is there such a thing as that um yeah I mean, it, it's difficult to say lots of things change so certain sectors kind of come into prominence for a time and then kind of fade and another sector comes into prominence so uh, back in, I guess it would be around the 2007 to 2010, something of that order, there was a lot of emphasis on schools, new schools, school design. Uh, there was something called building schools for the future, and 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 that was that was really quite dominant in the industry. Right. Um, then then you know certain things are, are always there. People are always building houses and 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 blocks of flats and so on. Uh, but but it you know sometimes healthcare there was a big push in healthcare probably in the early 2010s or seemed to be and I worked on quite a few universities you know there was a, a big push probably four or five years ago I I think there probably will be another push again once uh, you know everyone's back from from lockdown mm. so things do change I I would say the fundamentals don't change the 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 stylistic nature changes because office design has very much changed. Uh, over that time, yeah, things things are always in flux. You know, architecture is always changing, and 
and, and as I say, the type of projects, you know, also where you work. Sandy Brown do a lot of office fit out work. Um, we do a, we do the whole range of things, but we do we do a lot of office fit out work in London. So that kind of brings a different uh, you know direction when when you're working on a particular for a particular company that that kind of has that in their portfolio. So you know it 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 does change over time, but I would say that the fundamentals don't don't actually change. We mentioned in the beginnings there the Grade Two listed building at One Nine Five Piccadilly, BAFTA. You were involved in that. That's a Grade Two listed building that's being totally refurbed, uh, and it's a huge space. What did you get involved with there, and what were the challenges that presented? Yes, so that's that's quite an interesting project. So it, it is a challenge being uh, Grade Two listed. So I, I have worked on other uh, uh, cinema projects, uh, mainstream cinema operators, and and a couple of IMAXs over the years. Uh, but the, so when when you're looking at a cinema, so there are three kind of aspects that you're looking at. So first of all, it's very important is the sound insulation. So you clearly don't want the sound from the auditorium affecting other spaces, and equally you don't want the sound from other spaces affecting the auditoria. So so the sound insulation is really quite crucial, and that's been a particular challenge on BAFTA because of the fact it's a listed building and a lot of its retained timber structures. So whilst we've tried to optimise things as much as we can with what we call a box-in-box construction, so we have a a fully suspended ceiling that's on um, what we call spring hangers, so it's isolated, sort of so the sound can't transmit through the structure. Uh, We've we've got similar for the walls and also for the floor. So that's, that's one aspect. And that has been quite a challenge, probably the biggest challenge, actually, in, right. in a building of that type. Then then you've got the, the, the noise levels. So clearly you don't want the space to be noisy. So when you get to a quiet passage in, in, in a film, you don't want to be hearing the air conditioning running. Uh, so that's that's another challenge that, that we, we, we have to work work with. So, we're, you know, there'll be what we call air handling units, which supply fresh air and extract the stale air. Uh, sometimes they'll include cooling. And we use something called an attenuator um, in the ductwork, which will help reduce the noise level. So we have to uh, calculate dependent on uh, how big the unit is and, and how much air it's moving. We then have to determine the performance of those attenuators and then through to the, the sound absorption. And with a cinema, as I mentioned earlier, you, you want it uh, quite what we call dry. So a very low reverberation time. And, and usually when we look at reverberation time for most buildings, we're, we're really looking at speech frequencies, what we call the mid-frequency reverberation time. But when it comes to something like a cinema, we, we actually have much more strict requirements at particularly low frequencies. And we have what something that we call a, a frequency mask. So the bigger challenge there then is tuning the type of absorbers so that you don't provide too much absorption in in one particular frequency band or a few frequency bands while still trying to achieve it in others and and that that is quite a challenge and it does require you know using different types of sound absorbers sometimes and and equally you you've also got concerns about you know with with most modern uh, surround sound multi-channel speaker systems you don't want um sort of big reflections to the rear of the speakers because then you actually get a big increase in energy in certain locations and and you start to get 
an odd distribution of the sound in the room, particularly at low frequencies. So uh, there's a whole balancing act there. And 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 again, for BAFTA, we we built the 3D model, um, we put all the surface finishes in, and we were able to then, you know, look at how the reverberation time. Uh, varied across the whole space so that it was reasonably consistent and then also in the frequency domain to make sure that we weren't over absorbing in certain frequency bands. Yeah, picking up from um, uh, what Richard was saying there about, I just noticed you mentioned um, thermal performance and how that can obviously impact on thermal comfort, but the acoustic, um, you know, requirement as well in terms of noise and that kind of thing. So we, you know, what we're all about is designing for the senses. And uh, yes, acoustics are 99% of that for us. <laughs> uh, but actually, because Baz was like a completely discreet, um, seamless uh, solution, what we, what we, the challenge that we've taken on really is trying to uh, integrate other kinds of function and functionality into the um, surface. And uh, so one of those um, uh, that we managed to achieve is integrate radiant uh, heating and cooling um, into the acoustic surface, which basically makes it completely non-visible. Um, but also um, being radiant is very, very efficient um, and completely quiet. It's just one of the one of the things we do. And obviously, you know, this this whole thing about human centric design, it just all ties in, particularly with the um, the pandemic and the importance of making people feel welcome and wanting to linger in a space and actually uh, productive but but also you know uh, inclusivity and um, collaboration and all those kinds of things are deeply impacted by the architecture and the materials that are used and the end result which is of course the environment that you're in yeah i think one of the things that uh, as people do come back to the office we've we've really seen throughout the pandemic the rise of video conferencing and the challenge is going to be when we have a hybrid situation where some people will be in a meeting room having their meeting and others will be uh, on the video conferencing system. Um, and the the acoustic conditions in, in meeting rooms with video conferencing is, is very important. Quite often people don't realise because they say it sounds great at their end, but actually the problem lies at the other end. And it, it, it depends on the system and microphone placement and microphone type all come into that. But fundamentally, one of the key things is making sure the acoustics in the room are correct. So whilst we generally will put sound absorption uh, as a ceiling, um, because that's generally a very effective way of, of, of providing the sound absorption that you need mm -hmm. to, to meet the reverberation time requires, what you can end up getting is what we call a flutter echo. So if you've ever stood in an alleyway and clapped your hands, you get like a pyong sort of sound. Yeah, yeah. And 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 that that basically can happen in uh, in a meeting room if if you have uh, parallel uh, reflective surfaces. And what you find with a lot of offices and meeting rooms, cellular offices, is that they'll have a glazed front, and usually there's the facade, so windows on on the opposite side. So again, you've got. Um, you know, two parallel reflective surfaces, then you'll probably have hard uh, plasterboard walls, uh, you know, at, at the front and, and, and rear of the room. And what happens is you get these flutter echoes. So as as uh, video conferencing has become more prevalent, this has become more significant. So one of the things that we, we do recommend is is that people consider putting wall panels in, in video conferencing facilities. Now, it used to be you know, maybe two or three rooms in a in a whole office development that were dedicated to it. But now almost every room is going to be used for that purpose. So that's one of the key things that, that we're saying to people now is you need to also put 
treatment on the walls. So we we would usually say if it's a, a very small room, maybe one of the walls is fine, just if it's like a phone booth or something. But actually, in a in a reasonable size meeting room, sort of six, eight person or, or bigger, actually you you need to have two perpendicular walls that are treated so that you stop those reflections. And clearly, that becomes quite a, a, an issue when you have glass because you can't easily put. Uh, sound absorption in front of glass so you know again we'll talk to people about considering curtains but nothing too flimsy you know they need to be uh, quite heavy curtains and you need a good gather in them uh, for you to to actually get the sound absorption and to to help break up those reflections so it's something that it's going to be a real challenge as we as we go to that hybrid uh, working situation or meeting situation Uh, and, and I think it's something that that people may not have thought about because historically it's, you know, a meeting room has just been there for meeting in person. And I think this is something that um, will be a challenge, but actually can be overcome with with, with implementing good acoustic conditions and, and, and sound absorption, not just on, on the ceiling, but also on walls. Martin, we recently collaborated on the Grand Designs Ask an Experts weekend uh, virtual show where you were speaking to members of the public who might be doing home sort of residential renovations. And we know there's going to be a huge increase in the number of people using their homes as an office where they're going to be doing a lot of video conferencing themselves. You um, did the Caring Wood Grand Designs Home of the Year. We've seen that. But do you think that Baswa is going to see a growth in residential ceilings as a result of people doing more video conferencing from home? Um, you know, certainly people spending more time in their homes and people spending more money on their homes um, is going to make them want to have better functioning homes. But I think it all starts with education. You know, mm. I mean, I had a number of conversations during Grand Designs uh, event where people um, just weren't, you know, through no fault of their own, of course, but they just weren't aware that there was a difference between soundproofing and uh, interior room acoustics, you know, and sound absorption. Mm. I think that when people don't realize that, um, and this actually, you know, uh, uh, also extends into the uh, architecture and design community as well to, to, to a lesser extent, but but it is there um, because it's a very visual, you know, design is inherently um, going to be visual. So, you know, it's easy to forget that actually acoustics uh, matter. But but going back to the grand design, so basically a, a lot of people aren't really consciously aware that interior acoustics, first of all, is not, is separate from soundproofing, so that it can actually be, dealt with you know it can actually be improved you can use materials that will absorb sound and it will make a huge difference you know because it's just that's what that's what sound absorption does it absorbs sound so um you know again i think that most people would consider that uh you know if they walk into a noisy room that's just because that's the way it is and it's not anything necessarily to do with acoustics but of course it couldn't be further from the truth what we rely on is an educated client in terms of that particular aspect of their lives that they might want to improve or consider important and also an educated tech in terms of actually you know looking at the looking at the space that that we're that we're building here and the materials that we're using uh, actually they're 
may well be an issue with the acoustics. You know, perhaps we should give Sandy Brown a call or, you know. Um, <laughs> well, Richard, the same question yeah. to you. I mean, uh, Martin touches on and education. I think he, he's absolutely right. I think some people think that if they're going to build a home office with good sound, it's got to look like the, ins- the insides of a recording studio with sponge all over the wall, which no one wants in their domestic dwelling, of course, you know. Um, yeah. But, so, but uh, nevertheless, are you finding that education's a ho- obstacle or are you seeing a, uh, an increase in residential acoustic bookings? Gem- generally, our, our, our work on residential developments is is very much uh, with developers building new residential schemes. So we don't tend to work uh, with members of the public directly that often. That's not to say we wouldn't, um, but uh, what what was interesting, and and I agree with Martin, and and there is this confusion as as to sound absorption and. Uh, sound insulation or, or what people call soundproofing and I, I see it quite often and people really do get confused and uh, and there are some uh, sort of companies that sell soundproofing products and and you know it, it is like foams and you're like well that that will not uh, change the sound insulation of your room uh, and interestingly I even saw an article uh, online the other day with someone saying about the problem with their neighbors above and walking on the floor and you know i saw you know comment in the comment section people trying to sort of help them with 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 what they should do and and unfortunately what we sometimes find is it's not it's not obvious because it's very specialist but sometimes by actually adding mitigating measures you can make it worse so for instance if you want to improve the sound insulation of your wall if you start adding independent linings to it with cavities and you get multiple cavities what what you can find happen is actually the sound insulation goes down because the resonances all coincide so there's there's various things like that it, it, it's a difficult it's a difficult one because clearly not everyone's got the money to appoint an acoustic consultant um but i i yeah i do find that sometimes it gets a little bit frustrating when companies are selling soundproofing when actually it's not Mm. it's it's you know some sound absorption or some foam or you see comments from people oh put some egg boxes up um <laughs> a- apart from the obvious issue of fire um kind of flammability of egg boxes and they do have sound absorption but it's incredibly um sort of peaky in the frequency range and and, and not helpful so yeah it, it, it's a tricky one that and and you know i know there are companies you know it's their it's their business to sell kind of home studio kits and so on but i i don't think people do understand the difference between you know the the actual acoustics within the room which relates to the sound absorption and then the sound insulation um and and that is uh, that is a challenge i think it is amazing when they do because the conversation is just completely different. It's like a, a light's gone on, you know, and um, the conversations that I had at Grand Designs with people that understood, you know, uh, what sound absorption was and that that is, they knew that what they wanted. Those conversations were completely different to the people with um, noisy neighbours. And it was it was really nice, you know, to, to be able to chat with them and, and hopefully point them in the right direction, you know, because... Clearly, they were a little bit, a little bit lost, you know. Unfortunately, and, and obviously, it's a really serious issue. Um, yeah, so you know, education is hugely important, I think, and um, and it's not just at sort of um, members of the public level, but um, you know, across the uh, design um, community, I think as well. Just um, uh, you know, of course, not saying that they don't understand the difference, but what I'm saying is that they might not fully appreciate the importance of uh, you know this aspect of, of acoustics, which of course is one of our primary senses. 
Yeah, and also, and, and being one of our primary senses, the, the the relationship between improved acoustics and one's sense of well-being. Um, we've often said that people can describe things visually very much when they visit a space, but they're not so good at describing how a space sounded. But they are good at describing how a place made them feel. And as we always say on the show, you know, it's acoustics which are an integral part of the, the feeling. And you talk about education, of course, that's why we called it an acoustics academy. We recognised there was a knowledge gap here. I'd like to thank you both for helping fill some of that knowledge gap on this episode of the uh, Quiet Mark podcast. It's been great getting both your experiences on, on the microphone. And again, thank you so much for taking your time to share, to share those stories with us. Thank you, Simon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our thanks to Richard and Martin for that wonderful conversation. What are you planning to do post-Freedom Day? I know that as a member of the Tate Gallery and the Royal Academy, I can't wait to get back to some galleries and look at some exhibitions. I've already got my tickets booked for the Paul Arego retrospective at the Tate. And as a music lover, of course, I can't wait to get back to some concerts. So I've booked tickets to see Kings of Convenience and Fontaine's DC when they come to London later this year. Also in the news, moving the subject from indoors to outdoors, Quiet Parks International will be awarding Urban Quiet Park status to Hampstead Heath in London on July the 18th, World Listening Day, this weekend as I record. Hampstead Heath Urban Quiet Park will become the first urban quiet park in Europe. Field recordist Nicholas Allen prepared the report for QPI, describing Hampstead Heath as wild and natural, with plenty of opportunities to find refuge from city noise. And at an event this weekend that I'm going to be attending... The Hampstead Heath Management Committee will be receiving the award for protecting Hampstead Heath's quiet over many decades. The award aligns with this year's celebration of the 150th year anniversary of the Hampstead Heath Act 1871, which marked the beginning of open spaces preservation. And that same award will be shared with our very own Gloria Elliott, CEO of the Noise Abatement Society and co-founder and chair of QuietMark, and Poppy Skeeler, CEO and co-founder of QuietMark. So I'm very much looking forward to going to Hampstead Heath this Sunday to pick that award up on their behalf. And it's fitting, therefore, that our next episode is on the subject of field recording. I've already enjoyed recording a fantastic new episode with field recording legend Bernie Krause and the Sound of the Year Award nominated Melissa Pons. So plenty in the pipeline to look forward to. Thanks again for listening to the Quiet Mark podcast. I hope that you can join us for future episodes. All the best for now. Bye bye.